Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 27 of Yogaland. Happy holidays, everyone. We are in full holiday swing right now. And Jason headed to Hong Kong today, and I was lucky enough to get a little bit of his time to record this episode. So on today's episode, we are answering listener-submitted anatomy-based questions. And it just so happened that this batch of questions sort of all came in at the same time, and they all focus on the lower body. So hips, hamstrings, lower back... We've all got them. We've all got issues with the way they work or bend or don't bend and or how strong they are or not strong they are. And that's what we talk about today. Thanks so much for submitting questions. If you'd like to submit a question, you should follow us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram because I will put another request for questions up soon. So you can follow Jason Crandall Yoga on Facebook or Jason underscore Crandall on Instagram, or Andrea Ferretti on Instagram, and I will put calls for submissions on all of those places. Before we start the episode, I want to thank you again to those of you who submitted reviews on iTunes. A lot of you really liked the Kate Holcomb episode, and I'm thrilled to hear that. And Kate and I are cooking up another one as we speak and just getting ready for that. So we'll do more philosophy. And, you know, as I said, we'll ask for more questions and get Jason on the show again soon. So thank you to Yogi Bookworm, B. Pecia. I'm trying to say that in my best Italian accent. Crystal Markham, by I. Nusha, Detroit Yoga Lab. Hey, Naomi. Abby1710. And the one I just got today. Filaret 526. Okay, you guys, enjoy the episode. Happy holidays. Hello. (laughs) We're going to get back to some anatomy questions. And it just so happened that the last set of questions that were sent in were all kind of focused on the lower body, on the hips, sacrum, and hamstrings. So I have to talk about the sacrum in this podcast. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, You can handle that, right? I'll do my best. Okay. And so I'm going to read them, some of them together, because I think they kind of all dovetail together. The first question is from Christina Wolf. Hi, Christina Wolf. And she asks, what do you suggest daily for really working on tight hamstrings? I'm frustrated as I'm strong, but my hamstrings and hips prevent me from many movements. Now I'm noticing a tight lower back. I'm sure this is all connected. And then the next person, so this person's talking about tight hamstrings. And then the next person, to me, sounds like she kind of has, well, the next two people kind of have the opposite problem. Laura Lipperoni, I have a hamstring injury known as yoga butt due to a teacher offering a physical adjustment beyond my range. This injury is now six years old. And as, as you know, it's unlikely to fully repair due to the nature of the tendon. So a few questions. Best advice for teasing out tight hip flexors. Do you advocate forward folding with knees bent or straight? Any advice for safe stretching of the hammies to avoid aggravating this injury? Great. Okay, well, for the first question, I, depending on your perspective, am either the best yoga talk teacher to talk to or the worst. And the reason is that I have tight hamstrings. I've practiced yoga consistently for slightly over 20 years now. Prior to that, I played hockey and skateboarded for a long period of time. And my hamstrings have significantly, they become significantly more flexible. But compared to someone else that's practiced for 20 years consistently, they're still pretty tight. 
So for the most part, I have made peace with them, but I also have some really good advice, which is I find for me the most effective, efficient hamstring opening pose is Suptapadangustasana. So if you're not familiar with Suptapadangustasana, you lay on your back, use a belt, okay? Got to use a belt because you want to have some duration with the pose and you don't want to stress. You use a belt, loop it over the arch of the foot or the ball of the foot or the heel. There's a lot of different ways you can do the pose for different nuances, but they're all going to work for you. And then repeat this daily. I would say repeat it daily, daily, daily. And do and, long holds? Well, like- so, so one more layer to this, and then let me address that, which is do the first three poses in the Supta Padangustasana series. So you take the leg up. That's the first phase. You take the leg out to the side, that's the second phase. You take the leg across the body, that's the third phase. So I sort of go back and forth with duration. And one of the things that I am finding has really been more effective for me lately than long holds is short holds with frequent repetitions, especially for the hips. Now, there is a certain logic of sustaining a moderate stretch for past the 60 second mark. Some people say it's 60 seconds, 90 seconds, three minutes. Some people say it's gotta be five minutes. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different perspectives on the duration, but generally in order to get to all the layers of tissue, you want to maintain a stretch for 60 seconds or more. But I do shorter than 60 seconds in a lot of repetitions. I still go back and forth, right leg up, four or five breaths, left leg up, four or five breaths. What I've been playing a lot more with having more dynamic motion. And then the other thing involved with this is that, and this gets into some complexity that's hard to describe within this context, but you want your hip flexors to have to do at least a little bit of work when you're... Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. what you engage, like versus... Yeah, so if you're if you're belting the leg, which I'm suggesting you want to make the hip flexors also work for it a little bit. So your quads, it's actually a little bit less quads. Well, it's one of the quads. It's the rectus femoris that's involved. But quads a little bit firm, but you want to imagine that if you let go of the belt, that your heel wouldn't just fall to the floor. You want to mm-hmm. have some mm-hmm. tension in the yeah, front leg. Yeah, that makes leg. sense. Another thing you could do is do some combination stuff. You could take the right leg up stretch the right leg up into the air. Let's say the left leg is straight and on the ground. Right leg is stretched up towards the ceiling and straight. Leave it there without holding on to it at all mm. for a count of five, uh, five breaths. And then take the belt around the arch of the foot so that you have stimulated the muscles on the anterior surface of the hip joint, the hip flexors and a bit the quads. Mm-hmm. You've made them work for it. And then you get a little bit more hamstring stretch. So consistency is key. Same thing with the outer hips. I would find one or two or three outer hip opening poses that are effective outer hip poses for you that don't bother your knees. And if you can make one of them gomukhasana, because gomukhasana just gets to part of the true outer hip that it's, that's hard to get to in a lot of other postures. And consistency is the key. Two more layers to this, which is, we say it all the time, but we have to mean it. Don't be heavy-handed. If you stretch really intensely, think about this. It's not the most pleasant thought, but think about if someone reached out and grabbed your arm and pulled it really strong, what are you automatically going to do? 
Pull back. Pull back. Yeah. Because the body has reflexes in the body where if something is pulled on too hard. It protects itself. It, it's got to protect itself, right? And so, and so you have to be really, my way of practicing now is if I want to work really hard and push myself hard, then I do that with strength-based things. But if I want to open up, I actually am more softer and more mild than I've ever been. Hmm. I find it more effective. And at the same time, to be totally honest, like I've been on a plateau with my hamstrings for a, te- a solid 10 years. Yeah, it's like they, me with my back bends. You know, they've been the same. And I'm mm-hmm. actually okay with that. I'm okay with it because my body is fully functional. My body is fully yeah, functional exactly. and healthy. I and can that's do, I can the do, point. Right, and that's the point. Yeah. So then the next question was the person with the Lisa Lipperoni. And then Lisa J. Young had a similar question, which is tips for finding balance between the sacral and SI joint and feeling like she has loose ligaments related to pregnancy and nursing, which is totally, you know, we know that when you're pregnant and when you're nursing, you release the hormone relaxin. And so you you do get less stable. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me address the hamstrings first, because hamstrings are easier to deal with than the than the sacroiliac complex. So for hamstrings, overstretched hamstrings or a, a hamstring insertion injury, again, I don't I don't want to make claims. Okay, I don't want to confirm someone's diagnosis or deny someone's diagnosis or give a specific protocol. But oftentimes, and actually, it's a sequencing issue that. Vinyasa-based yoga, modern vinyasa-based yoga, is extremely back-body, stretch-oriented, front-body, contraction-oriented. We stretch the back-body disproportionate to how much we strengthen the muscles of the back-body in modern vinyasa yoga by a landslide. It's not even close. It's ridiculous. So another way of saying that is we spend a lot of time stretching the hamstrings we don't spend as much time strengthening the hamstrings not even a fraction not it's not even close mm-hmm. it's out of the ballpark mm-hmm. and so i think that good protocol for everyone whether you are a vinyasa yoga practitioner that has had some hamstring injury or hasn't had some hamstring injury is the inclusion of more very specific hamstring strengthening work The easiest ways to do it outside of a resistance training context, because there's good things in the gym that we can do, but on your yoga mat, really, to me, the best things to do are the prone back bends, Mm -hmm. especially locust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then, and then another little tip with this is that when you do locust, the tiniest little bit bend your knees, almost like you're bringing your heel to your sitting bone, like you're bringing your heel to your butt or the ceiling. And what that's going to do is, and you'll feel it right away, that's going to firm the hamstrings. It's also going to firm the glutes. Do you, okay? So like just a slight bend in the knees, a not like bend. a 90, okay. And yeah, then yeah, just yeah, like flex bend. your feet or? It doesn't matter which okay. you do with your feet. Okay. Yeah. 
bring your heels a little bit towards your butt. Okay. Flexing the foot or pointing the foot has primarily to do with the calf muscles. Bending the knee, not bending the knee primarily has to do with the hamstring. So it's about the knee more than the ankle. So you do whatever you want. And then what you're going to find is really what you're doing when you do that is you're doing a hamstrings curl. It's like a biceps curl for your arm. You're doing a hamstrings, a biceps curl for your hamstrings. There's other little things that I teach, like I teach natrajasana without holding on to anything. So natrajasana with the hands together in prayer. Bringing your, let's say you're standing on your left foot, raise your right heel towards your butt and then pull your right heel towards the wall behind you and you'll get a strong hamstring engagement. Hmm. Now related to this and related to the next question is yoga practitioners have to stop being afraid of using their glutes. This is a major learning curve. And I will be the first person to say, to raise my hand and say, for at least 10 years, I said, don't use them, don't (laughs) use them, don't use them, don't use them. And I really think that I was wrong. Yeah. I really think that I was wrong. And that's okay. Everyone's wrong sometimes. Yeah. You know, we don't don't know everything about everything all of the time. I want to interject one thing, which is that I think this argument, not argument, but I think this theory of, of whether or not to engage the glutes when you do yoga, it needs to stop being such a polar, like I'm realizing like as I get older, most things need to stop being a polarized all or nothing conversation. There are some people who don't need to engage the glutes as much to come into a deep, let's say wheel pose. There are some people who, who really do. There are some people who, you know, so it's like, it's about a spectrum and figuring out for yourself. And I think, I agree with you. I think, I think that the instruction to not overly squeeze your gluteus maximus and like put pressure on your sacrum somehow morphed into never use your glutes yes. in any way at all, yes. which is just not Yeah, it's, pr- it's a problem. Useful. It's yeah. not useful. Yeah. Um, I'll say two things about this. One, which is to give Roger Cole a mm-hmm. plug. Mm-hmm. Because in terms of the written piece about this topic that I think is best, the, the best one that, one that I've edited. ever read, I know it is. <laughs> Roger Cole wrote an article about this. Do you remember the name? I'll find it and put it on the show notes page. Okay. Yeah. And, or if you go to yogajournal.com and then I think he has it on his Roger site. Cole or, or yeah, even yeah, better. I'll, I'll find it. But he's just so smart and tempered and fair in his thinking about mm-hmm. this. And I think it's a really good read. It's mm-hmm. a really good read. And I agree with you. Things need to not be as polarized. You know, I was giving this example the other day. It's like when you don't trust someone to do something appropriately, you just say, don't do this thing. Right. Right. That's true. And it's sort of like, you know, if my if our daughter mm-hmm. had a pack of matches in her hand, I would say, Sophia, put those down. You're going to burn down the house. Mm-hmm. You know, I would try and parent better than that. But more or less, right? I would make this, this very black and white thing mm-hmm. where I try to say, if you do this, the worst case scenario is going to happen. Okay. But I hope by the time, like, she's a full-grown adult, she understands how to use matches. Right. That's right? Like such a good metaphor. So it's the same thing with the glutes. And, and, the, and the problem is that, the, that there's a lot of lack of critical thinking skills. And teachers need to be educated better so that we are teaching people how to use the glutes and where to use the glutes and in what sitting and to what degree and what part of the glutes for specific poses. Because last thing on this, which is... The gluteus maximus does not compress the sacroiliac joint. It will help stabilize the sacroiliac joint. 
It will also help people fire their hamstrings. This is not a one or another. Well, if you use the glutes, you're not going to use the hamstrings. That is not true. It Mm -hmm. is not true at all. They work together. They're synergistic muscles, especially the extensor part of the glute. So we just need to have more experimentation. And and I think that that, as far as the SI stuff goes... Mm -hmm. That's about as far as I want to take SI in this context. Maybe we can have a whole sometime sure. a, a whole thing because SI is a really okay. It's, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, we can do that. And I think we should also put off the um, question that I got from Mariska Cowie on hands-on adjustments. So Mariska will will answer that one in a in a future episode. But there's one more lower body related question that I think we can tackle, which is from Rebecca Johnson. And she says, I've heard tales of yoga teachers having hip replacements. And I admit my hips feel sore lately. What do you think most commonly causes hip problems in yoga? And how can I keep my hips safe? I have no idea. I mean, there's just, there's too many variables involved, right? And it's not that I don't have a lot of thoughts and opinions about hips and maintenance and injury management and protocol and sort of diagnostic things, though I'm not a diagnostician. I'm not trained for that. I don't know really any yoga teacher that is except for a couple of MDs. And the thing that I have to say is that there's too many variables involved. And so I don't want to make claims, right? Because what we'd have to do is we'd have to say, okay, well, what type of yoga? For how long? To what degree of intensity? What was the nutritional profile? What was the family background? Has anyone else in the family had hip replacement surgeries? Over how many years were they Over practicing? how many years? What sports did they do what when sports? they were a child? Was there an injury? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like the thing is, is that, look, even if you take a yoga practitioner, uh, this amazing, diligent yoga practitioner that practices two hours a day, every day of their life, their whole life, well, that still leaves 22 other hours of the day accounted for. So I don't have the best math, but that's a low percentage of the day. Mm -hmm. So the postural habit throughout the day, do they drive? Do they not drive? Was there congenital hip dysplasia? You know, how was the acetabulum set? You know what I mean? So So I think think her question... uh, Okay, so we can drill down, go for it. But so I just wanted to get that out first. I think the question to me speaks to kind of a deeper issue, which is, for those of you who remember William Broad... He wrote a book. Oh God, I can't remember what it was called. I tried to block it out of my brain. I think it was it's called. Not one I think it was called with. Surprise. You might actually hurt yourself when you use your yeah, body. Yeah, exactly. I'm not really a fan of his line of thinking, and his line of thinking was very much along the lines of, "Oh my gosh, yoga can be really, really dangerous." Sure. Let me tell you all the ways that over the years, in these little studies people have, you know, hurt themselves. And so I think maybe what what this question speaks to is this fear of seeing other people in the, um, you know, other masterful practitioners over the years get injured and having maybe a fear that that could happen to them if they quote unquote did something wrong. So I wonder if you can speak to that kind of approach to the question. Yeah. uh, Okay. So a couple of thoughts come up. One, which is another just really broad thing. And I think that we all agree on what I'm going to say, which is the danger to the body of not doing a yoga practice far exceeds the danger of the body to the body of doing a reasonable yoga practice for a long period of time. There's just, there's no way around that. And at the same time, and I think to be fair to William Broad, 
and just other people that say, hey, you can hurt yourself when you do yoga is to do this with open eyes and to know that a lot of us come into this practice because we're suffering, because we're injured, because we're looking for something, but we can't have unrealistic expectations and we can't think yoga is a panacea. We can hurt our body really easily. And I think that to reduce it a little bit more, the most common injuries that we produce in yoga are repetitive stress injuries and overstretch injuries. Those are the most common injuries that are created. So two things can help that. For the overstretch injuries, a little bit more strengthening, right? Just like we were talking about earlier, more hamstring strengthening, more glute strengthening. Not to overplug Yoga Glow, but someone on Yoga Glow. I mean, I have some strengthening classes on there, but I think a colleague of mine that comes up, Tiffany Cruikshank, she's someone that comes up to me as on Yoga Glow and in her classes teaching a lot about strengthening. And Catherine I, Budig has really good. Catherine Budig has really good strengthening stuff, and this is something that strengths. our generation, yeah, it, we're, we're getting to, like we're learning, we're remembering that this isn't all about range of motion. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot more stabilization and strengthening because so many of our students are hypermobile women, mm. and so a lot of the hypermobile women are realizing, oh my god, all this intense stretching that I've done for so long is now starting to show up as as discomfort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and so, uh, the, but that doesn't mean all is lost. It just means, okay, well, we need to start to include more specific strengthening work. Right. Right. And feeling more balanced. Yeah. Balanced and I try and do that in my classes, mm-hmm. but, but I also, you know, there's, I have colleagues that, that are, I'm sure there's plenty of other people also doing it, but those two come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thought about this is that, um, is that I forgot my train of thought. Well, also, I, mean, I think I might be able to even okay. pick up your train of thought because I guess what I want to add is you can do everything right in your life. You can do everything right in your yoga practice. And, and as you kind of alluded to earlier, you might have some kind of genetic, you know, predisposition to an injury or to an illness or to pain. So I think, I guess my answer to my, if I were to really, really give a very, very concise answer to that question is, Yes, there are people, masterful, you know, people in, in yoga who have sustained serious injury sure. and that's, that's okay. Totally. That, you know, things happen and it's not really something to necessarily take in as a potential thing that might happen to you because really anything could happen. Yeah. I've picked up my train of thought and I, and I want to f- follow up on that too. First, I want to follow up on what you say, which is to say, look, you guys, we, we're not trying to inoculate ourselves into a benign existence. Yeah, like, that's a good there's, way to say You guys, it. there's nothing you can do to insulate yourself from the possibility of discomfort. It's not possible. I mean, you can learn to self-regulate mm-hmm. in the midst of discomfort. Mm-hmm. You can learn to not suffer. I mean, look at the Bhagavad Gita, the end of suffering. It's not the end of pain. It's not the end of discomfort. It's the end of the secondary process that's overlaid on top of the pain. And I'll be the first person to say, like, if I could somehow figure out a way to, especially the older I get, I do try to protect myself from discomfort. Yeah. Especially emotional it's discomfort. Natural, yeah. It's a natural thing, but but we have to sort of realize the yoga is not that. Mm-hmm. And that's not me being cavalier. Yeah. But we just have to realize, like, if you don't use your body, you're going to have issues. If you use your body, you're going to have some issues. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. And the issues of discomfort that you're going to have from using your body are going to be much less in most situations than the discomfort of not using your body. Then the train of thought that I had, that I had earlier, which is, it's difficult to describe without a long context, okay? But there are now certain, because she spoke about the hip. Mm -hmm. One of the things you want to consider is, where is the discomfort on the hip? In what motion? So one of the things that the world of physical therapy and slowly the, the more informed yoga teachers are picking up is that pain in the front of the hip or pain in the groin upon hip flexion. So the movement of the thigh towards the pelvis or the movement of the pelvis towards the thigh, a forward bend. Uh, movement, uh, pain in the front of the hip joint in child's pose and mm -hmm. happy baby pose. Mm -hmm. In standing forward fold and partial and also those poses, that ain't good pain. Hmm. Pain on the side of the joint that you're moving towards is, well, pain, pain. Pain, <laughs> pain is not good. Right. Okay. Right. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just throwing a very broad thing out here. Discomfort on the side of the joint that you're moving towards is less likely to be a good thing or a tolerable thing than pain on the side of the joint that you're moving away from. Hmm. So give me an example of a pose. Okay, pigeon pose. Uh -huh. Your right leg is forward. Your left leg is back. Right. You're in pigeon pose. Your outer hip and your butt have stretchy discomfort. Mm -hmm. Probably okay, mm -hmm. unless it's overstretched, right? right? And that's the degree I can't say. But in general, that discomfort, if you're in pigeon pose... The side of the pose that you're stretching is the back and outer part of the hip. Yep. If you're in that same pose, pigeon pose, right leg forward, and the pain or the discomfort is in the hip crease, the side that you're moving towards, the front of the hip. Oh, I see what you mean now. That's okay. right. Okay. Then that, is, then that is more of a compressive pain. Got that's it. why I said it's more hard like to describe. More of a potential impingement or something. Impingement is a technical term, but yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I try and save myself instead of saying impingement by saying stuff is running into stuff <laughs> rather than yeah. stuff is pulling away from stuff. You can absolutely overstretch things. And Rebecca, if you need to take a little time off and do some walking, you know, whatever, take some time off. But be even that more on the lookout and even that more cautious of that discomfort on the front of the hip joint. Mm -hmm. Be careful of Googling it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're going to, if you Google it, you're going to have a labrum problem and you're going to have, you know, an attenuated ligament within the hip caps. You know, I mean, there's so many things, but especially when it comes to hips and shoulders, it's just without an accurate full diagnostic protocol, it is not possible to fully identify the cause and therefore the protocol. Mm -hmm. And that to me, I think it's a different topic, but that's the biggest challenge we have in the world of quote unquote therapeutic yoga mm -hmm. because, thera because yoga is inherently therapeutic. Mm -hmm. So when we start to drill down into what someone wants to call therapeutic yoga, then we have to really say, well, how accurate is the diagnosis? And what, and what are the diagnosti diagnostic parameters to actually inform the treatment protocol. Mm -hmm. And until we really have incredibly good diagnostics, 
at our disposal as yoga teachers is hard to do anything other than just teach good yoga that mm -hmm. is symptom-based, mm -hmm, saying, oh, mm -hmm. this feels good, do more of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That feels bad, do less of that. Mm -hmm. And we've talked in a previous podcast about um, if you really do think that you are injured and you're not able to sort of work it out with your yoga practice that, you know, going to a physical therapist yeah, or going PT's to so a, good. yeah, is really worthwhile yeah. and worth your time. Yeah, it is. Okay. Even if it's just to rule out. Right. You know, even right. just say, oh yeah, you know, we sort of see this. Do an anti-inflammatory protocol. Right, right, right. You know, right. maybe that's that's all that comes up. Yeah. Or a little bit of strengthening stuff. PT starts with strengthening. Mm -hmm. Very simple, simple, simple movement. Simple, simple, targeted strengthening. Yeah. Often, often good. And I ignored that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, thank you. My pleasure. And thanks so much to everyone who is writing in the questions. And please keep sending us more. And we'll answer more again soon. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. The show notes can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 27. I will put all related links up that we talked about in the episode. And I will also dig up some lower body focused sequences that we've done and pose notebooks that we've done so you can put all of this wonderful information into action. Oh, and we have an illustrated guide to the hips with really great anatomy illustrations. So I'll put links to that as well. Okay, you guys enjoy your holiday season. And until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs>